A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia, and welcome to episode 59, my friends. We are almost to 60 episodes, which means we're only 41 episodes away from 100, and I keep thinking about that's just a wild thing that I never, ever thought I'd actually do. Anyways, random thoughts. Anyways, hey, I'm Kevin. Welcome to another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, today's episode is with my girl Angie K. Hong which I'll tell you about her in just a second. She is such a beautiful person inside and out, such a talent, such a lovely woman, uh, and a minister of the Lord. Oh, honey, she's amazing. I love her so much. Anyways, but before we get into that, I need to say something. I am so thankful. I've been trying for months to get people to, uh, obviously, like, you know, support the work on Patreon. But one of my big goals was actually getting to 100 patrons on Patreon. And guess what, guys? Now we have 104! It's amazing. So thank you to all 104 of you who makes this work possible. Um, now, just so you know, like uh, with this, the money that's come in, we're over $1,000 in support per month for the creation of blogs and podcasts and videos about the queer Christian experience, which is amazing. Something I am uh, investing in so that I can become a better creative is I'm learning how to... Um, do a little bit better with my marketing skills, and so I'm taking an online marketing course, and then I'm also learning how to use Premiere Pro so I can edit my videos better. Um, next month, I'm hoping to actually purchase some sound equipment, some better sound equipment to make the quality of the videos a little bit better as far as uh, my voice is concerned, because it's a little echoey, a little fuzzy sometimes, and we want to get the message across loud and clear, don't we? So, uh, and that's you, you're making that possible, so thank you for investing in me so we can continue to invest in uh, in content that's going to reach the masses, which is the hope, right? So, if you want to learn more about being a patron on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Garcia, learn about all the perks and stuff, and oh, we're going to be starting a Slack channel soon. Um, I was doing a Facebook a group for a while, um, and I wanted to be more in touch with people because, to be honest, I kind of suck at looking or really engaging a whole lot on Facebook. Probably a reason I... Uh, should take a marketing course, right? <laughs> Anyways, um, but Slack is something I do use a lot. And so if you want to be on the exclusive Tiny Revolution Slack channel, you can start donating, make the work possible, and connect with other people from across the country. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fantastic. So uh, that's done. Uh, last announcement, or two two more announcements. One, Wild Goose Festival. You know about it. You know what it's going to be. It's going to be amazing. I'm doing th- four things. I'm doing my own presentation called Bridges Over Battle Lines, where we're going to talk about how to have discussions with people who think differently from you. Two, I am doing a panel with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa and Matthias Roberts and like four or five other people, but it is a conversation called Loving Our Way to Freedom, um, a panel on how do we get rid of our internalized transphobia and queerphobia. So this is going to be a dope time. The third panel I'm doing is with Emily Joy and Morgan Guyton called Embodied Grace, a discussion on sex-positive Christianity, which I've never talked about, you know, anything around sexual ethics ever in public. So I'm a little nervous, but I am very excited about that. And then the last thing I'm doing is I'm recording a live show of the Failed Missionary podcast with Corey Pig and Jamie, the very worst missionary, who you may have heard a few show- few episodes ago. If not, go back and listen to that podcast. It's so good. But me, Jamie, and Corey are going to be talking uh, about... 
um, the Failed Missionary Podcast about missions. We're going to be reading letters that didn't, uh, or we're going to be reading stories that didn't make the newsletter, and we're going to be taking questions about the audience, about our thoughts on um, missions, on identity, on what we can be doing better. And um, also, speaking of Failed Missionary, in June, I'm going to be co-hosting the Failed Missionary Podcast alongside Corey Pig. Um, we're talking about our experiences being queer people on the short-term mission field. We are going to be talking about um, how it affects us. We're also going to be featuring friends like Austin Hartke and the Reverend Sarah Heath. Um, so that's going to be really, really dope. So um, go check out Failed Missionary. It's on iTunes, Google Play, all the places. And read, like, listen up. It's such a good, such an amazing show. It's a more docu-series than conversation, which obviously conversation is part of that. Anyways, there, it's going to be incredible. Go, go get it. Go download it. Go listen to it. And also, two more um, plugs for a couple of my friends. Um, my friend Matthias Roberts, who hosts the Queerology podcast, a podcast on belief and being, where they talk about everything from queerness to Enneagram stuff. It's amazing. It's good. Go listen to it. Go binge it. It's amazing. He is having his one-year Queerology birthday podcast celebration, and you can be a part of it. Go over to MatthiasRoberts.com, where he's posted information on how to contribute to that. It's going to be great. He's going to be featuring so many wonderful people. Queerology podcast, MatthiasRoberts.com. Go get it. Go be a part of it. It's wonderful. Last, last one. My friend Sarah Heath, who's been on the podcast before, launched her very own podcast, and you've probably heard an advertisement on here before for Sonderlust, the podcast, a 52-week journey towards getting rid of Sonderlust and learning how to love her life. It's a a fantastic, beautiful, vulnerable journey that so many people have been relating. To fund the last six months of production, she actually needs to hire a professional team because the two wonderful people who were volunteering before got real jobs and were unable to keep up with the demands of uh, being on the production team of a podcast. So Sarah's going to hire professionals. Um, it's so worth it. It's just an $8,000 Kickstarter goal. We're at like almost 3000 so we're so close go in check it out there's some really great perks associated with her stuff too so you can go to sonderlessthepodcast.com uh revsarahheath.com and also just look up uh kickstarter and look up sonderlust s-o-n-d-e-r-l-u-s-t that's also a good way to get in touch with that i think that is everything okay now that i've given you the church announcements um let's talk about who's on the podcast today today on the podcast, me and my friend Angie Hong are sitting down to talk about uh, Asian identity. We're here to talk about being a woman in the church. We're here to be talking about a woman who's called to be to lead and be a pastor, while still also um, respecting her Korean heritage, which has a lot of male-dominated narratives. Uh, some may call that patriarchy. It's a really interesting conversation that we have. But a little bit about Angie. Angie is a worship leader, a writer, and a speaker. She currently serves as a creative director at the Chicago campus of Willow Creek Community Church and most recently contributed to the book Intercultural Ministry, Hope for a Changing World, released in March 2017 through the Judas Press, or Judson Press, not Judas Press. That's a different press entirely. And Soul Bear, released in 2016 through InterVarsity Press. Angie has a background in music therapy and explores the intersection between music, reconciliation, identity, and more on her blog, angiekhong.com. 
She has led worship for the Justice Conference, Christian Community Development Association, and Duke Divinity Center for Reconciliation. And like I said, in this conversation, we tackle the struggles of being a woman in ministry. We actually t- we also touch on intersectionality between being uh, a person of color and a woman who's called to ministry and being a queer person who's called to ministry as well. It's a very fantastic conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. So sit down and shut up and grab your friend, grab something to drink, a coffee, LaCroix. I've been on a huge LaCroix kick because it's summer. Also, when am I never not on a LaCroix kick? That's the question. But we're not going to answer that today. But I am going to ask you, are you going to enjoy this conversation with my friend Angie Hong? Yes, you are. I am a worship leader leading worship along the lines of reconciliation. I'm a mom to two kids, a wife. And right now I serve as a creative director of a church right here in Chicago, um, and in the, the next thing, the segue, um, in the fall, I'll be actually attending Duke Divinity School. So then I'll be a student. No way. We're both starting seminary. Yes. I wanted to congratulate you. Well, thank you. And congratulations <laughs> to you, Duke Divinity School. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little scared because I barely graduated undergrad. No joke. Mm. And it's been so long since I've been to school. Um, so I'll be the oldest student and out of practice. So please pray for me. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll light my sacred heart of Jesus candle and hold you in my heart. I would love that. Um, but I feel the exact same way. I've been out of school mm. since, I mean, I know it's, I guess like in hindsight, it's not really that long, but I graduated in 2013. So five years mm. since I've been in an actual classroom. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, Ugh. Yeah, right? It's like, how do you go back after being away? Exactly. It's uh, like the scariest thing. To... Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to... They said that I'd be reading about 70 pages a night. <gasps> so I'm like trying to build up the stamina. Yeah, I'm trying to build it up. I'm starting with like 40. And then hopefully by the end of summer, I'll be up to 70. So at least I'll be in the habit of reading for a long time. But yeah. That sounds... Oh my gosh. See, now like I'm just like, I, I wasn't prepped for any of this. I'm like, I'm moving in on July 1st. Oh, well, when do you, yeah. When does your school start? Um, technically speaking, I am moving in, in uh, July for Greek mm. school with the Greek intensive. Ooh. Um, but oh, I, was, I wish I could do that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I was told by a friend of mine who did it last year that, uh, it's one of those scenarios where last year 30 people started, but only five uh-huh. people finished because it was so intense. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, guys, like maybe you should like rethink your curriculum. If like, it's that intense that no one can barely pass. It. Yeah. It's too intense. Too intense. Yeah. But what do I know? I've never, I haven't been in school. Maybe those people are like me and just got scared and didn't push through. Who can say, but we'll find out together. You've won't got we? it. Yep, you've got this, though. Yeah, and, it, it. and if I don't yeah. got it, like, my worth is found in Jesus Christ, my Savior, and I can just take you again later. <laughs> always, always, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so you're a worship leader, you are a mom, you are an Asian-American mm-hmm. woman, um, and I know mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to talk about was, um, this is something I see on your Twitter presence a lot, is talking about the fact that so many times, especially on conference stages, I mean, like, this is, like, the problem mm-hmm. across the board, it's so full of a men and b particularly white men 
mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. how oftentimes, uh, even in, especially in circles surrounding talking about racial reconciliation or racial justice, um, there aren't mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, of Asian, uh, Asian participants or not a lot of, especially not a lot of Asian women on those platforms. Yeah. Um, well, it, I just, I woke up one day a, a while back and I realized that all my spiritual formation from books to pastors to music, it was all written and spoken and sung by mostly white men, you know, mm-hmm. white men and Beth Moore, you know, <laughs> shout out to Beth. I mean, I don't, you know, <clears throat> yeah, and yeah. I, you know, when I'm looking at my children and you know, for my children's children, what do I want them to be spiritually formed by? And, um, you know, I realized that it has to be more than that. And, um, you know, I've intentionally sought out different kinds of resources. I've built up my arsenal, but I don't want, you know, our kids and our future generations to have to work that hard to find different voices. Um, because it also suggests that, you know, only a certain kind of people, you know, need to be spiritual authorities or it can write good music or it can come up with great content. And, you know, that's certainly not the case. Yeah. And so we need to look into how to systemically correct that so that the future generations will, this will be normative. Yeah. Cause yeah. it is like, it's not, it is a systemic problem and it comes from, yeah. you know, the, you know, patriarchy, white supremacy across the board. And mm-hmm. even though there's so many spaces who, quote, say that they're committed to like racial justice or to intersectionality, a lot of those voices that mm-hmm. say that they're committed to these things often are white voices and they don't decenter themselves. They don't, you know, surrender their platform or surrender their power so that other people can have a chance to grab the mic and share a different version of what God is doing um, through mm-hmm. their specific cultural um, racial lens. Yeah, it's a it's a very hard hard sort of death, mm-hmm. um, hard to let those things die, to let those things go, to trust other kinds of people, other kinds of theologies that are, that are theologies, you know, mm-hmm. credible theologies. So and not just a hyphenated th- theology where they put like Asian theology yeah. or queer theology yeah. or black yeah. liberation theology. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, uh, so, you know, we're at the point where James Cone has just passed away. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really love how people are, you know, commemorating him, his um, his work and his memory. But they call it Black Liberation Theology, which is correct. But it's also a legit theology, like a life changing one. So, um, yeah, those spaces, you know, those places where it can become normative. And so for me as an Asian-American I realize that there is a lot of um, liminality with who I am because in a lot of ways I am very privileged. And then in other ways, I'm also very marginalized Mm. as a woman and as an Asian American with that. And so um, I realize that there is um, it's very, very complex. Um, I try to bring up the conversation as um, uh, not gently, but as um, trying to think of the right word in a way that's not yeah thank you in a way that's that's generous but that also just warrants some discussion you know um because even in uh poc and and um other organizing spaces it's sort of like who are we in that do we are we included number one 
what is our place number two? And I think even a lot of Asian American AAPI community people are figuring that out. And it's not a unified voice. I think everybody's on different Mm. points in the spectrum. So it's hard to, um, yeah, it's hard to figure out where we fit. Where do you think you fit specifically? If that's not too invasive of a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I go, here is my personal sort of take on this whole situation. So, mm. you know, first part is to understand all my intersections and their fullness, you know, knowing that my dad, my, my family, my parents were immigrants and they were immediately marginalized because they were not one of those educated, I can come, I can afford to come to America situation. Um, they are uneducated. They started from the bottom and they really, really did work hard to rise to, um, you know, to afford things for my brother and I, but they did that um, by stepping on the backs of black and brown people. Mm. And so I own that as part of my privilege. And because of that, I feel that justice includes redeeming that part of the story of mine. Um, yet I'm also, you know, um, uh, um, treated as an object, objectified and and um, exotified as an Asian American woman. So then I try to um, to raise awareness about that and to fight hard to bring justice to that. So um, I believe that Black Lives Matter movement um, and also sort of like lifting up queer voices and anybody else marginalized in society will only help and will only further any cause that I care about um, mm. as an Asian American woman that matters like to me personally as an Asian American woman. Um, and so I am hoping to dedicate as my liturgical practice in life to lifting up those voices, to supporting and empowering other marginalized voices, because that only helps all of our liberation. Um, so that's sort of how I look at it, you know, and if it means that, you know, I'm not like, rah, rah, what about the Asian Americans? That's, that's fine. I just want to know that there is a place where I can be included and um, where I have like a place in it as well. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I I co-sign on all of that stuff because (laughs) I think a lot of times, like, especially in, in queer progressive circles, especially queer Christian circles, it's Mm -hmm. very easy for, uh, especially white queer Christians to, and I'll even go even a step further, white queer, let me just, let me back it up. White gay male Christians, especially Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. so many of these spaces were started by white gay males and who mm-hmm. are brilliant and who have like have done so much for the community um mm-hmm. but also started at a time like i think about like for example like q christian fellowship um mm. started by justin lee who's done amazing work for so many people um mm-hmm. white gay male you know started at like you know mm-hmm. over 10 years ago at a time where just like conversations around racial justice and uh intersectionality weren't happening and so i think mm-hmm. a lot of times it's really tough to um 
to go back and say, oh, well, we also need to add this, you know, racial justice aspect into our work because that's important. Or mm. we need to talk about trans lives in addition to that. Or we need to talk about the specific, uh, the specific experiences of black lives and Asian lives and native lives mm. in addition to our own um, as valid. And, and the thing I've noticed so much is that like the people who get butt hurt the most is just white, white mm. gay dudes who just like, this doesn't feel comfortable to me because they, they like they get they made they're made not made to feel uncomfortable but they feel uncomfortable because something is challenging their whiteness and their maleness and I think yeah. it's so frustrating to to go into spaces like that where it's like don't you understand that like your it's exactly what you said it's that your liberation is bound up in mine like my freedom mm-hmm. your freedom we're not going to get there unless we're both getting there together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, you know, you know where I learned that lesson, I think, uh, where I saw it really up close was when I went to Israel, Palestine Mm -hmm. a year ago, and we spent time in, uh, both Israel and Palestine. And, you know, we started out at the Holocaust museum where it was, you know, oh, just the horror of the Holocaust and, you know, the, um, the Jewish people just started telling their story and how they, you know, how they, um, how they just fleed from Europe and how they found this, you know, Israel and how, you know, they had to flee from their countries to come. And I just, um, you know, but then, but then they turn around and they're occupying these Palestinian places. Mm. They're, um, they're actively invasively taking over their land and just without, you know, with any, it's, it's almost like they just forgot history in a matter of a generation of what happened to them. And the exact same thing. It's, it's like, they're telling Palestinians, take your keys with you. You'll come back. I mean, that's exactly what happened during the Holocaust. That's how they, that's how the Hitler regime got the Jewish people to leave their homes is take your keys, pack your bags because you will be coming back. This is just a temporary thing. Hmm. And um, the Jewish people are telling Palestinians, Right now, like actively, you know, you'll come back. Don't worry. And then these Palestinians are now in these refugee camps. I mean, it's all it's it's uncanny the the similar the similarities in the language and you know um, all of that. I mean, even in our current administration, there's a lot of that same language happening. So it's almost like it, it's too easy to forget. And I think it's easier to forget the more we get wrapped up in just caring about our own and our people and mm-hmm. what's happening to our people. Um, so I think um, maybe, maybe, and I'm just thinking about this, a unique giftedness of the Asian liminality and maybe for you too, like the queer um, liminality and queer spaces liminality is, is the challenge to embrace the both and, you know? Mm. Yeah. Say more like, about I mean, that, the both and. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I feel like remembering where you're coming from and lifting up all marginalized voices will only be so much more of a greater freedom and liberation for yours and your own. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it is, like you said, wrapped up in everybody. So the more we can lift up each other as a united community, because I think white supremacy also seeks to scatter and divide all of the marginalized. So the more we can unite around each other, um, 
in a in a true community, I think the more we can model a new Jerusalem mm. that will be completely liberated, you mm. know? Yes. And it's all Jesus. That's all Jesus kingdom work. Kingdom work. Mm. Come on, come on, Muharista. Over here <laughs> using the word kingdom. <laughs> I am such a huge fan of, of switching that up to the word to the word kingdom, specifically for um specifically around the idea of like you know you know like we we uh jesus is often depicted as as a king but i think like um Mm -hmm. it's it's so interesting like i this thought just came to me right now it's like you know jesus never himself like claimed a political authority jesus himself never claimed to be a the king of the jews like that was something that at his crucifixion like was placed upon the cross as like kind of like a mockery to him. And so Mm -hmm. I I sometimes wonder, just like, you know, we say like, you know, the kingdom of God, you know, like we're speaking, Mm -hmm. like Jesus was speaking in in the terms of his, of the people of the time so they could understand, you know, this is what God is doing. You know, this is the world that God Mm -hmm. wants to create. This is the the community God is trying to uh, foster. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I hear the words like kingdom, where it's not about this hierarchical, hierarchical, that's a hard word to say at 10 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> hierarchical kind of mentality. I think, um, yeah, I, I think God is doing something different with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the word, yeah, kingdom, and the word, and the word kingdom to me, like levels the playing field and also offer offers opportunity to every single one of us to like, see each other as kin and not just, um, you know, you know, this, that's my Asian friend, Angie Hierarchy. Hong, or that's, <laughs> or that's my, my, my queer friend, Kevin, but really yeah. seeing each other as, you know, making these deep committed relationships with one another that is going to lead to human flourishing because of our diversity of story, because we see the divine in each other, um, because of our differences, mm. not in spite of those things. Mm, hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when I think about kingdom, I think about like, I, don't, I for some reason, I think about land that needs to be conquered or like some sort of territory. But whenever I think about kingdom, I don't I immediately think about people. Mm. I don't I think about people. So, um, you know, and that's because we've been conditioned to think of those words in different ways. But I think the more we can normalize it, I'm all about that. Mm. I'm all about that. It's not normal, actually. Oh, it no. may be normal to us, but it's that's kind of whoa. What you know? That's kind of earth shattering to some. So yeah, I think that's like being these radically inclusive voices, or at least wanting to be radically inclusive voices. Um, yeah. It really shakes people up, and I, I think it's because like the I, I think about like proximity to whiteness as the thing that like will also be your proximity to like uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like i was uh, i was talking with a friend recently about um coming out as genderqueer um mm. and using like he and they pronouns and as we're sitting there at lunch together uh he was like i just i just can't think of something like outside of just like you know a male and female kind of thing i can get like a trans like a trans you know, a trans binary identity, like a trans female or trans male, but like being non-binary, just like somewhere in between, or it's like, I just don't mm. get it. I'm just like, that's, you know, okay, well, you don't have mm. to get it, but it's here I am. 
it's a, and, yeah. and, and I and I think of and I love this person so much because he is somebody who I think does uh he knows he he know he white um and <laughs> he knows that he has so much to learn and I think like that's the posture I wish that um more folks had is just like mm. it's like it's like, it's like I'm not mad at you because you're white I'm mad at you because you don't listen yeah. <laughs> You know what yep. I'm saying? You ever tried yeah. to you ever try to explain like just like your experience um in your lim- like you know the liminal spaces or the in between spaces or even just like yeah. you know your experience exclusively as an Asian person like and just people just don't get it because they're not from your background. They're not from your culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like the so I have like these uh times in my conversations throughout the day when I have these little mini laments. <laughs> or throughout it's like, the day. So this is a daily occurrence yeah, for you. Yeah. It's well, you know, I kind of have a little lament, mini lament about the fact that I have to code switch or the oh, fact that yeah. I have to, you know, explain things to you in a way that you understand centering a dominant culture or, mm. you know, centering a dominant experience and I as the outsider have to come in and make sure that you don't exotify or make sure that I'm not serving as a wedge in some way and so it's that all is a is a um, burden that I you know wish I didn't have to carry but I do and you know it's mini laments I don't know I call them mini laments and then I, I think about it I hold it and then I you know let it go but yeah, that just that's our that's daily life, right? That's mm-hmm. what it's like. Yeah. yeah. And for people who don't know what code switching is, it means that basically when you are going around your life being your complete self and then you run into somebody, you know, particularly particularly white people or you're in a space where you're not quite <laughs> safe to be your full self, like you change how you talk, you change how your mannerisms are, you change uh, something about yourself to make yourself a little bit more uh, palatable to the room that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so, like, I like I think about this, like, when I go into, uh, you know, being a queer person walking into, like, a predominantly, you know, a conservative Christian church. Like, mm-hmm. for example, like, the other week, Amelia and Matthew Vines and I were in North Carolina for this event uh, at a conservative yeah, Christian church. Yeah, I heard church. about that. Oh, mm-hmm. honey. Honey. Let me tell you. <laughs> Like, code switching all day. Because, like, you know, you have, like, these nice, well-meaning, yeah. like, straight conservative people just like, thank you so much for your story. And, like, this is not me, like, making fun <laughs> of them because they have a southern accent. They literally had southern accents and they're incredibly intelligent. And I am from the south also. So I used to talk like that, people. So I'm not classist. I'm just southern. Me as well. Me as well. But mm-hmm. they're just, they're just like, we're just, like, so thankful for your story. And just, like, I'm so glad that we can just disagree and still be a part of the body of Christ. And I'm just like, Yes. That is true. <laughs> we can disagree and still be brother and sister in Christ, even though I yeah. want to say, like, you know, family or sibling in Christ. Yeah, right. And right, so, because, right. like, you know, me, I don't want to sit there and try to explain, like, you know, gender queerness to them. I don't want to sit there and explain, like, you know, all these other things. Or <laughs> Right. It... A part of you is saying, it is 2018, people. Really? Like, yeah. you're just now hearing about this. I don't mm-hmm. think, so. you know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, keep going. What's interesting though, too, is I found that I am, um, I'm very thankful that I do have like spaces that are exclusively queer 
or mm. are exclusively like exclusively queer um so that i can walk into a space with my full self and not have to explain things um mm. and i found that mm. those spaces that i can find where i can be my fullest self um mm. is really powerful and very healing because i feel seen mm. um mm-hmm. i'm sure do you have spaces like that for you for for you where you can go with uh like the exclusively asian spaces that help kind of like uh heal those parts of you that have been wounded um so or is it more few and far between for you great well this is a great question and i think that a lot of people uh maybe feel this way so like if you've been to, if you, you know, if you grew up in a mono ethnic setting where you kind of had your bubble of friends and then you feel that God is calling you to be part of something, um, more diverse, um, whether it's ethnically or, um, just, uh, just anything, just in any environment. And then you, it's like hard to go back to the mono ethnic cause you've experienced mm, something different and yeah. there are different things that you care about and things that you've come into awareness about. Um, but that are really discussed like in your mono ethnic community. So, um, you know, in my mono ethnic community, I still have my Korean community, which I love. Um, but are we going to talk about like our intersectionality? Are we going to talk about gender dynamics? Um, are we going to talk about sexuality? Probably not. Um, and so then, uh, like, what do I do? And then like in the, you know, and then in other spaces, I, I kind of don't quite fit either. Um, and there was this group called the progressive Asian American Christians that started online basically. And that's kind of been my special magical unicorn group. Um, because I I do feel like those are like-minded people that are, um, coming together, but it's a virtual community. So I don't, you know, it's a community online, which isn't really a true get to know you. I know these people intimately sort of community, yeah, but it's hard. I have, yeah, I have found that to be a very healing space. Yeah. yeah. It's very, I mean, like, thank God for those online spaces for real, because yeah. there's so there's like, without them, like, I wonder where would I have been if I didn't have those spaces mm-hmm. to like, at least the, those digital spaces to converse in and, connect with and i've i've honestly like i've met some really fantastic people and we are some of us are plotting together to get together in a couple months and do a little retreat which is super Mm. exciting because like i think it's so important to like try and get get these people in the same room or get these kind of like-minded people in the same space so that we Mm. can Mm -hmm. if anything take a breath for once because i feel like so many times like we're walking around the world holding our breath sometimes because we are trying to just like make it through a day and so to have have a space like that at least for Mm -hmm. me and i i will say like i'm very lucky because i live in atlanta and we're a super queer friendly city and so for me Mm -hmm. finding real life queer spaces is 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 easier um Mm -hmm. than i imagine Mm -hmm. finding something like a exclusively asian space um yeah, Especially in, in, in a, like a landscape like Chicago. I don't actually know the, the landscape of Chicago at all or like the ethnic landscape, if you will. Yeah. 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 It's a, 
Well, I've been here for two years. Um, Chicago is just so interesting to me. I'm still so fascinated by Chicago, <laughs> especially growing up in the South. I mean, oh, this is like nothing I've ever seen. What part of the South are you um, from? I'm from Atlanta. How did I not know that? I don't know. I grew up in Marietta. Oh. I went to UGA for undergrad. Wow. Yeah. We literally, okay, so like we basically just missed each other. We were probably, when did you move out <laughs> of, when did you move from Atlanta? Oh, a long time ago, 2000 and 2002. Oh my gosh. When are, when were you there? I, I just got here two and a half years ago, so I've been... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so I was in North Carolina after that. But, mm, um, okay, okay, okay. But yeah, Southern girl. Yes, honey. Southern girl, Southern girl. So up here in Chicago, there's so much to do. People don't hang out. They go to events. Mm. That's a big part of the culture, going to events. And there's so much going on. It's a little overwhelming. I'm an Enneagram 7, so I get, like, so overwhelmed that there's so much to do because I want to do all the things. Mm-hmm. That, But that's just me. Um, and then it's still pretty segregated. There are neighborhoods that are, you know, that are uh, African-American. Then there's Latin- Latinx neighborhoods. There's Puerto Rican neighborhoods. There's Mexican neighborhoods. And they all are kind of, um, they're not hostile, but you know that, you're not exactly welcome in some of those neighborhoods. Mm. Um, And then me as an Asian American, I mean, I don't really fit anywhere um, except maybe Chinatown, but I'm not Chinese. So yeah, I can imagine that being a little bit of a cumbersome moment. Um, (laughs) Speaking of the, um, I wanted to touch a little bit on something that uh, made headlines over the past week. At least I saw it on Twitter. I didn't actually see it on many like Mm. major news sources, it was just a photograph of the leaders of North Korea and South Korea um, shaking hands mm-hmm. and um, possibly entering into like some sort of peace talks um, mm-hmm. for the first time in since the since the war. Um, and I know that's something I remember mm-hmm. from Reformation Project that we did as a community as we sang a Korean hymn that was basically um, talking and like mourning the loss of that uh, of that separation and like praying for reunification of this country. So I kind of just wanted to yeah. like, um, I wanted to know what your your thoughts were on that. Like, how, how have you been feeling about that? Do you think it's actually possible? <sighs> and okay. also, if this is too, been... also if this is too personal, we can like back off and do something else too. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I can talk about it. So, um, reunification—it's so hard. Uh, uh, let me see, where do I begin? So I oscillate between extremely hopeful and excited to extremely suspicious and thinking this is some sort of tactic to, is some sort of trap uh, for the South Koreans. And I get really, really, really scared because they've got the nuclear weapons. Um, so, you know, I am one generation removed from the Korean War. Our parents experienced it. They fled. Um, they were um, living in wherever. My dad's dad was quarantined and killed um, by the, well, at the time, it was during the Korean War, but they were living, I can't, I can't remember if they were living in Japan or in South Korea at the time, but he, he, he was killed. So I never got to meet my grandfather on my dad's side. Um, and so... 
you know, and my dad actually has a Japanese name because of Japanese occupation, but that's a whole other thing. Huh. So, um, so there's this like long history of this, this division and North Korea has always been like one step forward, two steps back. They're teasing us. They tried to do something with Clinton and then they took two steps back and then they threatened a war. So this is their pattern. They're, they're always threatening when they're running out of resources and then they get the resources and say, just kidding, you know, we want to be peaceful and all that stuff. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of corruption. Um, there's a lot of mixed messages about North Korea just in general. Uh, North Korea sees us, uh, um, South Korea, as being, you know, occupied by the U.S. and they see us, they see the U.S. as a regime um as well so they think about they think of us the same as we think of them sometimes and the mm. worst of ways yeah. um and they believe that they're truly liberated by their leader by their dear leader and so um i feel that they i, I don't i don't know what to think about this i don't know I, and i don't know who's going to take the credit for this uh, you know, is our current president going to take, oh. you know, is he going to get a Nobel Peace Prize? Is this what this is all about? Is North Korea trying to get the U.S. troops out so they can invade South Korea and take over? All of the all these thoughts run through my mind, um, you know, in, in the worst of ways. In the best of ways, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what if whole entire families are going to be unified? I mean, they're going to have... Um, a reunification because there would be no border. And so all those things are running through my mind right now. Uh, so, and, and I think most people uh, think the similar, similarly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. We will yeah. see. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. I, I honestly, obviously do not know what it is like to have my homeland or like the place where of my family's origin be, as divided and as like uh, hostile or scary as that. So uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts. I really, really appreciate that. Um, um, yeah. You're welcome. I think it's um, what's interesting for me being somebody who uh, gets to kind of, you know, be in proximity because I have a lot of, I have a lot of Korean friends who have shared their thoughts and they've all been quite similar um, along the lines. And I think what's also like really what they've noted themselves is, uh, you know, how, how in many spaces, uh, you know, like especially white spaces, like they kind of get treated as, you know, people say the model minority um, mm. because of, uh, you know, because of mm. history and what like, you know, America has done to the Asian identity. They, uh mm -hmm. You know, they don't always get to engage in conversations like that because people just read them as white or just say, oh, you're not like those Asian people. Um, um, being being that we're under like a really shitty administration, I. On, in, oh, in, shoot. You can cuss on your podcast. Oh, 100 percent, right. honey. OK, OK, OK. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, gloves are off. If you want to go in on something, if you want to cuss out the president on my podcast, I mean, I do it all the time. You should go back a couple episodes and like my Jamie Wright, she uh, she cussed like like more than I did, which I was like, this feels so good to be in good company with someone. <laughs> 
Listen, I'm like, I might be a Christian, but, you know, I swear a little bit. Yeah, there's a theology to that. I, I think so, too. I mean, like, if the, apo- <laughs> if the Apostle Paul, was it Paul who said it? In, in one of his things, which is like, I consider, uh, I consider everything to Christ, like, I mean, like, it, like, more, like, it was like, they, they translated it as garbage or refuse, but, like, mm, the more literal mm-hmm, translation mm-hmm. is actually, like, this is shit. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Everything I have is shit compared to the glory of Christ Jesus. And I'm like, there yeah, it is. That's, there it is. that's real. Like respectability yeah. politics all around are the thing that like make me. It's like on the one hand, I know that I have to play the game in certain mm-hmm. places, but I hate the fact mm-hmm. that I have to play the game. I hate the fact that I have to refer to it as a mm-hmm. game, like where like I'm trying mm-hmm. to pick and choose which identities I bring into a room or which identities I tone down in order to. Uh, make progress in one area or another. Mm, mini limit. Mini limit. <laughs> or big limit. Maybe. Oh, yeah. many. Now I'm thinking. I'm just like this could be a creative project. The mini limit project. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it brings you into awareness of how often you have to do it. Yeah. So that I, when it kind of blows up and you have a meltdown, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's coming out of nowhere, right? Yeah, because I think there's a lot of people, especially like people who work in like social justice circles or just like people who are like activists and advocates. We we have this thing mm-hmm. where we're just constantly like you know code switching. We're constantly like you know negotiating which identities we bring with us, and sometimes it's like not just about. Um, making other people feel comfortable or navigation navigating a room. Sometimes it's about physical safety too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think about like where I'm going in Atlanta. Like today, do I want to put on lipstick or no? Because I know, oh, because I know wow. I have to go to X Y Z places. Um, or do I want to have my nails painted or not? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to wear something that is? more easily queer like i can be identified more as a queer human or not Mm, mm. um so yeah yeah that's just something i think about and i and 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 the thing is just like if uh if you wear your identities on your sleeve or on your skin so to speak just like you know like you can't you don't i know that i also have the luxury of turning or of like Mm. hiding certain things about myself when i need to because um, I can easily pass as yeah. a, as a, a straight cis white male if I need to, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is also why I try to be as queer as possible. So like with <laughs> oh, but yeah. So that's just something I think about is the privilege of yeah. being able to not just code switch, but like even change my appearance. Survive, yeah, for survival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was good. Sorry, I didn't mean to like just like drop a bomb. No, like that. Th- no, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really important for for people to know what it, what it takes to really survive. That yeah. you think about survival. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I honestly like. I don't know if if you think about this or or whatnot, but like being you know activists and like voices who want to work really hard for justice and reconciliation as much as possible um i actually had this thought like a right after the election um back in 2016 is like you know what if like like i could go to an event 
because I, I put all my stuff online. I put all, all the events where I'm going to be appearing at. And I sometimes yeah. think about like, you know, I could get shot. Um, mm. And, you know, being voices for being voices for radical, radical justice and, and radical love, like it, it pushes up against the, you know, it pushes up against the walls, of, the gates of hell, which I will call the gates of white supremacy. Mm. And, mm. you know, the gates of hell, like, you know, they have some spears that like to poke out and like wound people and yeah. sometimes even take them out. And so I wonder, like, and I don't know if you relate to this since at least since the election, but just like, like, do you ever feel like your own safety sometimes is in jeopardy because of, you know, you being this dope Asian American woman who is like fighting for your place in the church and in society. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So physical danger, you know, I'm obviously not, I'm more aware of being a woman more than anything Mm. like physically in, in a lot of, you know, anything about neighborhoods and, um, I mean, a lot of places just being a woman is, is just really hard. Um, and, and in churches, especially because it is very male dominated. Right. So all my bosses in churches have been male. Um, they've been, uh, white male and then Korean males, which are also <laughs> patriarchal society. So it hasn't, mm. you know, physically there's some sort of risk there, but also, um, so like, um, you know, being myself is also risk, uh, professionally because Mm -hmm. I can't, there, there has to be ways of saying it to which the dominant culture will understand and hear and hear it gently instead of putting up their defenses. So there's that sort of danger professionally. Uh, and also, you know, cause if you get a work performance review, say, and you don't score as well because you don't, you know, you're not as well liked for this and that and because you can't be your true self. I mean, that affects your pay. That affects how others perceive you. And uh, it's all this trickle down effect. So professionally, yes, it's risky. Um, and then, um, and then personally, you know, I've, yeah, it is risky. I think one thing that a lot of Asian American friends and I have been processing through is how do you show certain sides of yourself without being inauthentic while Mm. still being authentic? How do you show sides of yourself so that you're not just bleeding all the time by the, those invisible spheres. And, uh, we talk about that a lot because I think this, you know, in this world, in, in these liminal spaces, you kind of have to, you, like you said, you kind of have to choose your armor when you go out. What side of myself am I, am I going to show today in which I can survive, possibly even thrive in, you know, and, and how can I still be authentic? Mm. That's, that's, an, that's an art form to me. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if I still think it's all the way right, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's some sort of that that you kind of have to reconcile with yourself, I think. Yeah. Can I ask a specific, like, kind of like a little bit more of a, a question? It's something that you mentioned just in passing, um, that some of your bosses being Korean male pastors and that being a patriarchal uh, society um, and kind of um, cultural context. 
as as a woman who is also called to be a leader who is also mm-hmm. korean how like what's the tension like of holding um you know your your heritage and also mm-hmm. wanting to work for the liberation of women at the same time yeah um yeah it's uh it's tough in korea if a if a if a husband and wife couple um want to get divorced the husband has all the rights to everything including the children and the husband can actually sue the wife for everything that she has personally on her own still wow it's 2018 and that is still the case yeah uh, it's a very patriarchal, I mean, it, uh, in growing up in Korean churches, the male would be introduced. So it'd be like, here is Joe Kim and his wife. Here is, you know, Bob Park and his wife. I mean, it was very, yeah, it's, it's very patriarchal. And there are still a lot of Korean churches that don't have any female pastors that don't believe in female pastors. And I don't even want to get into the gay queer conversation because that's, that's a whole other that's thing. That's a whole, yeah. I'll bet. Right? Yes. Right. So, yeah, it's still very patriarchal. I think the second generation, the second and third and on, maybe is open to a different thing. But we are still so formed by the conservative white evangelicals. Like I said, mm. the white male pastors and books and all of that that are that are, you know, that are um, complementarian, that it's really hard to, to bust into that. And I'm hoping my only saving grace really is my social media platforms mm-hmm. um, and my writing and, and my stage presence whenever I'm on a stage. Hopefully that gives some glimmer of hope for, you know, Angie from 20 years ago that is is feeling like I feel like I am a leader, but I feel like I'm crazy. They they're making me feel that I'm crazy. I want to show that there are people out there that are trying to pave the way for them. And that motivates me. That really does motivate me every day to do what I do. Yeah. So yeah, patriarchy. We'll see. Long way to go. <laughs> so yeah, patriarchy. Dot dot dot. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's honestly like I think what's so funny is that like it's so interesting. And I talked I talked about it with somebody else recently. It was like when we talk about super tragic things, and then we just start <laughs> laughing about them because we don't yeah. know what else to do. Yeah. It's like good luck with that. Okay. You're like, uh. <laughs> It's mostly because we just got to laugh to keep from crying. Otherwise, we're just like, okay, <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Uh, if you're if you're not laughing, you're crying. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and crying is so much more exhausting. You know. True. There's there's a time there's a time and what is it? A time for mourning, a time for for joy, full love, something in Ecclesiastes. I can't remember. <laughs> I love how we're about to go to seminary. We're like somewhere in the Bible, somebody said that. Well, here's the here's the tea, Mama. I found I have this like I had this realization recently that even like more main like so like because like you and me like you grew up in evangelicalism right yes okay mm-hmm. so like we at least my experience of evangelicalism is like we needed to know the bible we needed to like have knowledge um so like my old testament references are like boom i can pull them out like that um mm. like new testament story references boom i can pull them out like that just because like as a child i was trained up that way more yeah. more mainline folks 
sometimes, mm-hmm. especially sometimes even certain mainline pastors are just like, well, I think that verse is like somewhere over here. And I'm, yeah. like, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Do I? <laughs> and I just, I kind of get this like big smile on my face. I was like, I've had this like picture in my mind that all these mainliners are just like hoity-toity, like knowledge-based gurus yeah. of Christian faith. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe I- Little did you know. Yeah, yeah, Mary, did you know? You know what I'm saying? Come on. <laughs> Come on, Evangelical Christmas. I love uh, That was my conversation with my friend Angie Hong. And you can connect with Angie across social media at Angie K. Hong. That's uh, K-A-Y spelled out. Angie K-A-Y Hong. Um, all the links are in the description below or info box, whatever it's called. And you can connect with her on her website, angiekhong.com. Support for A Tiny Revolution is brought to you in part by the amazing humans on Patreon who are supporting the work. I know I talk about it all the time, but I can't tell you how much I love them and they make my world go around because they make this work possible. And I think this work is important, which is why I do it. Um, I make blogs, podcasts, and videos about the queer and Christian experience so that people can get a better narrative about their own life, who can uh, get resourced for the first time. So if you think work like this is important, if conversations like this are inspiring you, making you feel better, making you more bold, making you more creative, making you think outside the box a little bit even, you can support this work and help make more of it possible. Right now, I have two podcasts. I've got um, a, a video series that I'm starting and hopefully going to be starting two videos a week once I get Premiere Pro up and running. Um, but the, you're investing in creating amazing things that are really starting to make waves and get into people's lives. So if this has been good for you, if this is something that you believe needs to have, we have, need to have more of, you can go to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and become a supporter today. Even if it's just a dollar a month, even if it's $5 a month, $10 a month, there's perks uh, for everybody in every season of life that you have money for, honey. So if you are someone who does listen to podcasts, you're also probably the person who has bought nachos this week. Maybe you bought a taco. Maybe you bought coffee or you went through the McDonald's drive-thru. No shade. I'm just saying, if you have money for McDonald's, you have money to pay for the media that you're consuming, honey. Because this is a new gig economy and, honey, I got bills to pay. So, if this is good for you, if you want more of it, you can go to patreon.com slash Garcia and engage with the perks and support the work. All right, done bothering you about that. Uh, look for the new ebook coming out very soon. It's called Forever and Yesterday essays and thoughts about being queer and christian and figuring out along the way it's coming out hopefully by june 1st if not before also uh, if you're listening to this the week of may 21st the new uh queerly beloved t-shirt line is going to be live on our threadless shop and it's going to be at thekevingarcia.com slash merch and this week, and probably only this week only, I might extend it a little bit if I'm feeling generous, there is going to be a sale on all the fantastic new designs we got coming out. It's everything from like pronoun shirts um, to um, new designs for um, the Pride line to a really funny one that says, give us this day our daily meds, like medication for, for mental health. Do you get it? Okay. It's amazing. I'm excited for it. Thank you to my friend Donnie Sure Legit for helping me out and helping me design those. I am amazed by his talent. Um, you should hire him, which I'll send you a. I'll send you an. I'll, his link will be in the description box below as well. Okay, that's it. That's everything. I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, drink some water. Go see your therapist. Don't don't 
Don't skip it up. Don't skip, okay? Uh, hang out with your friends this week. Go to karaoke. Even if you don't think it's fun, I think going to karaoke can, like, just really release some stress. You just gotta get outside of your own head, honey. Okay, uh, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you so soon. Bye! Bye!